so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. to the ERLC podcast, where our goal is to help you think biblically about today's cultural issues. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and on today's episode, we're going to let you know what we've been doing the past several months and what you can expect from the podcast moving forward. We've spent much of the last few months listening to our audience. If you attended the SBC annual meeting or are subscribed to our emails, you had a chance to participate in a research questionnaire. We've been sending these questions to Southern Baptists all across the country in order to learn which cultural issues are at the forefront of your lives and ministries and how we might best assist you to tackle the challenges we face in this ever-changing world with the truth of Scripture and the hope of the gospel. We're going to be talking to some of our trusted colleagues at the ERLC, experts in various fields, and friends of this organization to help us thoughtfully answer the questions we face in daily life. For the next several episodes, we're going to be exploring the topic of gender and sexuality. Among all the questions we get, this set of issues rises to the top. In a culture that has redefined marriage, thinks being male or female is something that can be changed, and has no boundaries regarding sexuality, we want to equip you to be confident about what the Bible says and how to live that out. At the ERLC, we believe the Bible teaches that God designed our sexuality on purpose and that He instituted boundaries for our good and His glory. He created us male and female, established the institution of marriage between one man and one woman, designed sexual intimacy for marriage alone, and is glorified when we live as the men and women He has created us to be, whether single or married. help us with our discussion today, you're going to hear from Alex Ward and Jason Thacker, two of our colleagues on the ERLC research team. Alex Ward is the research associate and project manager at the ERLC. He's a graduate of Mississippi State University, Vanderbilt University, and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, as well as a doctoral candidate in American religious history at the University of Mississippi. Jason Thacker is an assistant professor of philosophy and ethics at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. He also serves as a research fellow at the ERLC. He's a graduate of the University of Tennessee and Southern Seminary, where he's currently a PhD candidate in Christian ethics and public theology. To begin, let's hear from Alex Ward about where to start with what the Bible teaches us about gender and sexuality. So I think, you know, at a basic level, you're not going to go wrong turning back to Genesis 1 and seeing what God tells us right at the very beginning. And in Genesis 1 and 2, what we see is that God tells us that we are created, we have a body that is meaningful, it is sexed, and that these sex bodies complement one another. So kind of each piece of that is important to how we're thinking about gender and sexuality. Like our body 
is important to who we are. It's not something that we overcome. It's a gift from God. It's designed by God. The same thing with our sex. Like this is part of God's design for how we understand ourselves. So what the Bible tells us is you are a creature. You were created with a good design, but we live in a world that's been corrupted and that has been broken by the fall. Alex rightly points out that confusion about gender and sexuality in our society doesn't come out of nowhere. It stems from a misunderstanding of who we are, and Jason Thacker picks up on this theme. At the core of most of the questions that we ask in society today, specifically about gender and sexuality, is really at the core of this question, what does it mean to be human? And the Bible has a very clear answer of what it means to be human, which is a, an image bearer of the Almighty God. I think one of the things about a lot of contemporary culture and the way we think about gender and sexuality comes down to this idea that we are self-defined beings, that we are to express what we feel inside. But a Christian interpretation, a Christian view of the world, and specifically a biblical understanding of what does it mean to be human, is that we don't look inside of ourselves to define ourselves. We look outside of ourselves. We're an image bearer of the Almighty God. So to understand ourselves, we have to understand who God is and how He's revealed Himself, and then how He thus reveals who we are as human beings. But at the most basic level, God created us not only as image bearers, but with a body, and that body matters. I think one of the most important things that the Bible teaches us is that we're not just our bodies, but we're also not just souls. Sometimes we get this impression, especially in Christian circles, that somehow we're going to be disembodied. That when we go to heaven, we're going to go. And I always joke to say, you know, we're sitting floating on uh, clouds playing the harps. We're disembodied. But when we look at Jesus, who is the true image of God, we're created according to that image. He's embodied not only in in the incarnation itself, but also in the resurrection, that he is physically sitting at the right hand of the Father, embodied as our Savior. Our bodies matter. We're embodied souls. God has created us with a body. He's created us as female gendered image bearers and male gendered image bearers. And that comes with certain rights and responsibilities and a certain kind of complementarity to what it means to be male and female in the very image of God. And the really important part about that image of God language is that we see it throughout the scripture. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2, where God's creating male and female. He creates us. The scripture says in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, that we are created according to the image, created in our image, speaking of God in that sense, in the plural, that we're created male and female that God has created us in this complementary relationship, that each, the male and the female, have infinite value, dignity, and worth as image bearers of the Almighty God. And He's called us to different things, different responsibilities, not only within the church, but even throughout all of society and even the family, that we're complementary. We need one another. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, Genesis in Space and Time, describes God's desire for us as those created in His image and how that leads to flourishing. He writes... Believe me and stand in your place as a creature, not as one who is autonomous. Believe me and love me as a creature to his creator, and all will be well. This is the place for which I have made you. Again and again, because of sin, we have rejected this. We seek to reject God's good design, how he's created us, who he's called us to be. We seek to reject that and to define ourselves, to define our own realities, in some sense to define who we think we are in terms of our gender and sexuality as well. Our understanding of sex, gender, sexuality is corrupted by the fact that we believe that we can overcome our body. We can overcome the limits. We can seek to, you know, just fulfill our selfish desires rather than living within the bounds of what God has set for us. 
So, you know, the, the idea that sex is reserved for marriage now seems like a hindrance rather than a good protection and boundary that God has set up. The idea that our body is intrinsic to who we are seems like something that we have to overcome and correct rather than part of God's good design for us. And so all of this is kind of downstream of this, so that the most important thing for us now when we're thinking about sex and gender is what makes me happy? What makes sense to me? Am I being true to myself? Which again, is just a, a total denial of kind of the boundaries that God has set for us. It's our attempts to basically do the same thing that Adam and Eve were doing in the Garden of Eden. Like the same lie that is told to them is you can be like God. You can overcome your limits. You can know everything. You can grasp for knowledge and identity that isn't yours. That's what we're being told now in the wake of the sexual revolution. Even our thoughts and feelings are affected by the fall, so that sometimes who we feel that we are and who our bodies show us to be are not always aligned. In the midst of this sexual revolution, speaking the truth about how God has created us is often met with labels of bigotry. On the other hand, Christians often speak the truth in hate rather than love. So as Christians hold fast to the word of life, how can the Bible instruct us as we interact with our family, friends, and neighbors who disagree with us about such a deeply personal and contentious subject? Again, here's Jason and Alex. I think first we can realize that every person has a worldview. Sometimes we think that there's just the Christian worldview and then other people don't have a worldview or an ideology or et cetera. Everyone has deeply held beliefs. They have an understanding of who God is. They have an understanding of what it means to be human. What is the world? What is truth and knowledge and how we're to act in the world in terms of ethics? Everyone has that, whether they're a Christian or not. The difference is, is that ours as a Christian is not rooted in how we feel that day. It's not rooted in some type of subjective reality. It's not rooted in whatever the cultural mores of the day are. It's rooted in the unchanging fact of who God is, how he's revealed himself to us. So when we think about navigating a lot of the big questions today, we can lean back on that, that the Christian ethic is good news for the world. It's actually good news. It's not bad news. It's not just condemning news, but it does speak to the created realities. It speaks to the fallen nature of all people, including me and you as well as the redemption and the hope and the new life that we can have in Christ and the life that he's calling us to live. And I think that's one of the things that was we speak that unvarnished and uncompromised truth, we can do so in a grace and a winsome way that reminds people that, you know, I really wish that was true. As they're speaking these truths and these realities, this seems to speak something deep inside of me, this sense of the divine, as many theologians and philosophers would say over the years. So I think the place to start, just like we started in Genesis 1 for understanding what it means to be male and female, we want to start in Genesis 1 for how we relate to one another, because the same passage that tells us that we are made male and female, it's also the same passage that tells us we are made in the image of God. And so when I'm interacting with someone, even someone who disagrees with me and is completely opposed to any understanding of the biblical sexuality and biblical ethic, like I'm still talking to someone who bears God's image. And that means that I talk to them with respect, dignity. I don't treat them as an enemy. They are not fundamentally my opponent. They are someone who has been deceived by sin. And when we think about interacting with people in that way, we're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to own the libs or you know destroy our enemy. We're trying to help people see the truth and the beauty and the grace of the gospel and the, the wonder of God's good design. 
And that means that we don't treat them as enemy combatants, but just people who, like us, were deceived by sin. As we relate to them, we have to do so under the, the rubric of Scripture, that we love God and love our neighbor. And part of loving our neighbor is to seek what's best for them, desire what's best for them. We are all sinners before a holy God, not just those people over there, but all of us. All of us are sexual sinners in many ways. We're born sinners. We're born seeking to rebel and to reject God's good design. So my sin isn't any more devastating or less devastating than my neighbor as we're seeking to navigate these things. And I think that reminds us again of that dignity and value and worth that we all have as image bearers, how we all fail to live up to God's good and holy standard. Just because we fail to live up to that standard doesn't mean that standard doesn't exist or that that objective reality doesn't exist. But even when we fail as Christians or as non-Christians, the hope is not something that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we can somehow be better or do better or somehow obtain that type of perfection. Is That perfection has already been won. That who we are is as image bearers, but we're also redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That Jesus Christ died. He lived the perfect life. He lived the life that I was supposed to live. And he died the death that I was supposed to die. And by believing in him, I have that hope of eternal salvation and hope. And so even though Christians fail and we fail often, we still have the grace that covers a multitude of sins, not only those of our neighbor, but also those of our own. The summary of the Christian ethic is this, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Only after seeing each other as those made in God's image, who are sinners in need of a Savior, and remembering our need for that same Savior, can we practice the patience and grace needed to engage with a broken world. We can extend mercy because Jesus has extended mercy to us. And we know that the Word of God and a life lived in accordance with its teachings are what truly brings freedom and flourishing for all people. The ERLC Podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. It's produced by Jill Wagner, Lindsay Nicolay, and Elizabeth Bristow. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to being back together with you next time.